Hello, and welcome to Stonebridge Community Church's online service. I am Pastor John, one of the pastors here at Stonebridge Community Church. And in this new year, we are beginning a new sermon series entitled Jesus and Moses, where we're looking at the similarities between Jesus and Moses in the Gospel of Matthew. I'm grateful that you are connecting with us through our online service, whether it's through the video or through the podcast. I pray that this is a time where God can reach you, where the Holy Spirit can open up the scriptures to you, where you can be guided in lifting up your voice to God in worship. Know that you are welcome here. The way this service works is there will be this intro, we'll have announcements, and then you'll hear the Word of God preach, and then there will be a few songs at the end of the service. So know that wherever you are, God is with you, guiding you in worship. May God bless you in this time, and let us worship the Lord God together. Amen and welcome. For those of you I haven't met yet, my name is Pastor John, one of the pastors here at Stonebridge. And we're beginning a new sermon series as we enter into the new year here. We'll be looking at Jesus and Moses. And the series is titled Jesus and Moses. But in the Gospel of Matthew, especially in the Gospel of Matthew, all the New Testament literature really, but especially in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus and Moses are compared. Matthew's drawing all of these similarities between Jesus and Moses. So to begin this sermon series, I'll be reading tonight from Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 through 18. And I invite you to hear the word of the Lord. Now, after the Magi had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up. Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet out of Egypt. I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And please join me in prayer. Lord, we gather here this evening now to hear from your scriptures. We gather so that we can learn from Jesus, learn from Moses, learn from what the scriptures teach us about both of them, their stories, their lives, the way you were at work in each of them, so that we can see you at work in our lives as well, so that we can get a glimpse of your character, so we can grow into your likeness more and more. So through the power of your Holy Spirit now, illuminate these scriptures and speak to each and every one of us clearly now, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So as we are looking at Jesus and Moses, as I said at the beginning here, Matthew especially compares these two and has all these points of similarity here. It's because really, according to Matthew, Jesus is the new Moses. Moses is the leader of Israel who took them up out of the desert. 
who helped them become a nation, become a people group. Moses was the one who pulled them together from a group of slaves in Egypt and helped them to become people. So as Jesus arrives on the scene, Jesus is expected to be a leader who will do similarly. He will pull together the people of God. He will give them an identity. He will help them understand how God is at work in the world so that they can be a blessing to the world in the way God asked Israel to be a blessing to the world. So Jesus is the new Moses. But what's important to understand is, and this is probably more important than Jesus being the new Moses, Moses was always a precursor to Jesus. And the way God was working, it's not just that Jesus is the new Moses. Jesus is the most important between these two, according to Matthew, and that's very, very clear. Learning about Moses and his story can help us understand Jesus better. So in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus and Moses intersect, when there's something, whether it's direct or whether it's an illusion in the background, this is a glimpse of how God works and of God's character. When Moses and Jesus intersect in Matthew, we are to pay extra special attention here. Because this is where we're going to see God's character. We're going to see how God works. And tragically enough, our scripture passage is one of those moments. You get a hint of it where the prophecy is cited, out of Egypt I have called my son. Moses came up out of Egypt. Moses brought Israel up out of Egypt. So right away, Matthew's pointing us to that. But this story that I just read from Matthew about Herod, it is a tragic story. It's a heartbreaking story. Matthew's the only gospel that gives us this story of Herod trying to seek to destroy Jesus, but then destroying any number of other children also, trying to make sure that Jesus was destroyed. Throughout the church's history, it's been called the massacre of the innocents. We try to celebrate this, not celebrate it, but to remember it, to reflect on it. Because it was Jesus who was being targeted, but we know, according to the story, all those other children were targeted. And their parents were grieving. And Matthew quotes Jeremiah to just lift up this mourning and this weeping that would have taken place. It is a tragic passage. And it's a pretty big letdown after you get past the excitement of Christmas. We go through the Magi, and then right when the Magi leave, this is what we enter into. But anyone who knew the story of Moses well, and who would first hear Matthew's gospel, would have recognized right away, this was similar to Moses' birth. If you go all the way back into the beginning of Exodus, when Moses is born, he's born with a Pharaoh who is worried that the Israelites, the Hebrews, might become too numerous. So Pharaoh orders that their children are destroyed also. Moses is then placed in a basket by his mother and sent down a stream where Pharaoh's daughter finds him. But Jesus and Moses are two characters in the Bible who begin their lives, their story on this earth begins with these tyrannical leaders who are targeting them. And notice that both Jesus and Moses, they're helpless themselves to do anything about this. They need other people to act on their behalf to protect them, to save them. Jesus and Moses, 
this beginning of their stories, it ties them together and it's really clear. And anybody who knew Moses' story who'd hear Matthew would know this ties the two of them together here. It's actually, I think, one of the first times that Moses and Jesus are tied together in the Gospel of Matthew. And it's striking to me that what ties Jesus and Moses together, the first thing that ties them together is how incredibly vulnerable they were at the beginning of their stories. Like I said, they are helpless to do anything about these powerful rulers who are trying to seek their lives and the lives of children their own age. They're completely passive and vulnerable in this. That, I think, gives us a glimpse into God. Into both how God works and into God's character. I think it gives us a glimpse into how God works because notice Jesus and Moses, two of these premier leaders in all of Scripture, maybe the two most central figures in Scripture, both of them begin their stories as helpless, vulnerable children. They don't begin their stories as the powerful rulers who can command the slaughter. It's a real clear indication of what God is about and the kind of people that God seeks to use. We might be used to the powerful people having more control, but in in terms of God's story, God works through the vulnerable people. God speaks first to the vulnerable. Look at Moses, look at Jesus, look at what they will go on to do but they begin vulnerable. There's all sorts of good kings in the Bible who are powerful, but they don't get near the recognition of Jesus and Moses. So God works through the vulnerable people first and foremost. And in the choice between a powerful king and a helpless child, God will choose the latter first. That's one thing I think we can learn about how God works, but This passage and the way these two are connected and the way Matthew lifts up this tragedy and lifts up the state of vulnerability tells us something even deeper than that. It tells us something, I think, about the very character of God. Because when we're talking about Jesus, we're not just talking about a leader. We're not just talking about a a standard human being. As Matthew has told us in this gospel, Jesus is God with us. That there in the person of Jesus is God. So when Jesus is depicted as vulnerable, as a child who has to flee because of fear of a tyrant, God has chosen that same vulnerability. The very character of God has chosen to become vulnerable. I think at one level, we all know this. We're familiar with this at one level. Because Christians, we are familiar with the fact that Jesus went to the cross, that Jesus died And that there was God. But I think at another level, it's hard for Christians to really wrap our minds around the vulnerability of God. Our ideas of God's sovereignty make it difficult for us to understand a God who can feel pain, who can be hurt. Our ideas of God being in control makes it hard for us to imagine a God who can suffer. And there's been a long debate in the church, thousands of years, about whether or not God can or cannot suffer. For thousands of years, Christians had to answer that 
God can't suffer. For whatever reason, that was a standard position. But the more you look at Scripture, the more you look at the witness of Jesus, it's hard for me to see that God can't suffer. We look at God's relationship with Israel, all the decisions Israel makes, the heartbreak that it causes God, the pain, the frustration, the regret that God experiences at times that the Bible tells us about. And then when you look at Jesus and you see Jesus there going to the cross, the Bible uses that language of father and son. What type of father would watch a son be crucified and not experience suffering at that moment? If we want to take the Bible seriously, I think we have to acknowledge God suffers. That's what vulnerability is. Vulnerability opens us up to the possibility of suffering. It means that we can be harmed, that we can be hurt, that we can suffer. God suffers. But there's an important caveat here. Uh, theologian Jürgen Moltmann, he, he's argued, he's a German theologian, he's argued uh, extensively that God can suffer, but he says this, God does not suffer out of deficiency of being like created beings, but he does suffer from his love, which is the overflowing superabundance of his being. And in this sense, he can suffer. What he's saying there, what Moltmann is getting at is, yes, God can suffer, but it is different than our suffering. Our suffering comes from our own human vulnerability. It comes from our lack of control. It comes from our inability to ward off terrible, tragic things in our lives. That's not the situation God is in. God doesn't suffer out of any sort of lack. Instead, God suffers out of an abundance of love. God suffers because of a desire to be in relationship with people who can choose against God. God suffers because of the desire to restore a broken creation. God's suffering is a choice that God has made. God suffers not out of a lack, but out of an abundance of love. That, I think, is critical for us to understand when we talk about God's suffering. And that's the example God gives us here. As we look at Jesus and Moses and that vulnerability that they exhibit at the beginning of their lives, there's a glimpse of God in that, of what God has chosen on our behalf. And there's an example God has laid out for us a glimpse of God's character. But I don't think many of us are too good with vulnerability, both at an emotional and at a physical level. Vulnerability is not that popular when you really look at it. How many of us are going to support a candidate for office because they're just so vulnerable and open to suffering? I don't think that's really what people are drawn to in our, in our culture. I don't think vulnerability, the ability to suffer, it's not something we look at and lift up as a value. And yet that's what God chose. That's what God chooses over and over again every time God enters into relationship with humanity. I don't think we're good at it. But the thing about vulnerability is it's actually the basis for any authentic relationship. If you want to be a church community centered on God and God's character, there has to be a level of vulnerability. We have to acknowledge our own vulnerability, not be terrified of it, not run away from it. 
but be open to one another with appropriate boundaries, of course. But be open to the deepening of relationship that implies we may get hurt. That's what relationship always implies. I think physically, too, we don't do well with our own vulnerability. When you're born into this life, I hate to say this, but you're vulnerable right away, the same way Jesus and Moses were. You are subject to potential pain. You're subject to sadness. These things are going to happen. And oftentimes, I think, we try to hide from it. We try to run from it. But God never ran from vulnerability. God never tried to put up all sorts of walls to be protected. God didn't try when Jesus was born to just raise an army and fight Herod and overthrow Herod. That's not the way God has ever responded in the face of vulnerability. Instead, God responds by fleeing first, but then Jesus goes to the cross, embraces that vulnerability. I think that's a challenge for us. I don't think it comes naturally to us, but I think God does give us enough of an example. This last week, I think one thing that was really hit home for me as I was reflecting on this passage was that the best way we learn to come to grips with our own vulnerability is by reflecting on God's decision to be vulnerable, God's decision to suffer on our behalf. This last week, I was thinking about this story. And it hit home for me in a new way, a way that this story had never really hit home for me. And I think it's because I have a son who is two and a half years old. And reading this story, it was different from this perspective now. Thinking about the parents, placing myself not in the position of the child, but of the parents, as Matthew talks about the weeping that has taken place. This story just it felt different. And then on Thursday night this last week, my son had his first sore throat. It was miserable, folks. Here's the main thing about parenting. Everybody says this like, oh, guess what? When you have your first kid, you're never going to sleep again. You're never going to sleep again. People say that. I knew that was going to happen. You don't know what it actually feels like until you're in the moment and it's 4.30 and he hasn't stopped crying for hours and hours. Yeah, it was a rough night. But as I was sitting there holding my son, this story was in the back of my head. And I was just thinking about in that moment how vulnerable he actually was. How without my wife and me, he would be on his own. And he was crying and he was struggling through this. And then it also, in the back of my mind, made me realize that this pandemic has pushed me to accept my own vulnerability in another way because nowadays, a sore throat's not just a sore throat. There's all sorts of other questions. Does he have COVID? Is it Omicron? My wife is pregnant right now in the third trimester. What is that going to do to her if she's actually sick? It was this vulnerable moment where I realized it's all changed. It's different now. And then I thought about these parents and I realized whatever vulnerability I'm experiencing, it's nothing compared to what those parents experienced from this story, from either Jesus' story or Moses' story. And then I think about 
the vulnerability that God embraced and realized, whatever vulnerability any of us feels, it's nothing compared to what God has chosen to suffer to be in relationship with us on our behalf. In the face of risk, in the face of pain, in the face of sadness, God's example of embracing it, of taking it on, of not being afraid of it, that, I think, is what gives us courage. God's willingness to suffer on your behalf is what should give each and every one of us courage throughout this life, give us faith, and give us hope. But if we keep trying to push that vulnerability away, if we don't embrace it, we'll never really wrestle with all that God has done for us. So Jesus and Moses, these stories, they're intertwined and they begin with vulnerability. God's story of being at work in their lives begins with vulnerability. May we, as people who claim the God of the Bible, ponder God's vulnerability so that we might also figure out the appropriate ways of being vulnerable with one another and throughout this life. Please pray with me. Lord, that picture there of both Jesus and Moses being helpless and knowing that you are at work there in them. That that was a situation that you called them into this world in, Lord. Lord, help that to deepen our understanding of you. Help the truth of that deepen our understanding of how you work, but the lengths to which you were willing to go to redeem this world. Lord, we know that we are vulnerable, that we experience risk in our lives, but we also know that you overcame all sadness, all suffering. That through the life of Jesus, through the death, and especially through the resurrection of Jesus, it was all overcome. We know that we will look back on this life and realize that the vulnerability, the suffering, it will all have been a distant memory at some point, Lord. Because you have made all things right and we are waiting for that to be fulfilled now. But Lord, between that now and that day that you show up, Help us to not run from our own humanity. Help us not not run from our vulnerability. Help us to look to your example and to have our courage rooted in you first and foremost, Lord. And Lord, we go to take our offering now as we continue our worship. Bless this offering. Lord, take this offering and use it to help those who are vulnerable, those who are at risk, those who are afraid, those who need hope in you. Help us to be a community that gives them that hope, Lord, that points them to you as the giver of that hope, that helps them see your character so that they can have hope that whatever we experience has been overcome, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
Praise of 